언론 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 Welcome to Alone with Peter. I'm your host, and on this podcast, you're going to hear interviews with entrepreneurs, artists, digital nomads, and people seeking personal growth. We're going to dive deep into what set them on their journey, where they are now, and how their story can impact you, including any helpful insights if you feel inspired to take a similar leap of faith. No matter where you are on the journey, thank you for spending some quality time alone with Peter. This is part two of our interview with Tanner Cumbias. Last week, we looked at what it was like for him growing up, having big aspirations and small pockets, investing young, and how he looks at money. We talked about working for PwC, one of the big four accounting firms, and how that shaped the way that he looks at money, and how ultimately Tanner chose to leave corporate America to pursue his own goals of tennis and travel. Today, we're going to be diving deep into that because ultimately, Tanner left a six-figure job in order to play tennis competitively for a year and to go travel the world while living off of index funds. Let's hear it from the man himself, Tanner Cumbias on Aloma Peter. Welcome back to the show, Tanner, and I want to jump straight into this. This is not the typical career move people make from going from making $100,000 a year to saying, I'm going to throw away my job so I can go try to play tennis when you've never played on a professional level. Walk me through this a little bit, what that looked like for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to be back. It's not a traditional path, and it, it was scary. It was scary suddenly leaving, uh, leaving my job. But, you know, it wasn't like I was just throwing it out the window and could never go back. So just to, just to you know, put that, include that in there, like I left on a good note. I worked really hard at the company until the end and maintained those relationships so that if I do want to go back, I can. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a, a leap. But yeah, so yeah, so I moved down. I, I did some research and I decided I'm going to move down to Florida. And you know, some of the best tennis in our country is played in Florida and in, in states where the weather is, is pretty good all year round. And so I remember I took this funny picture where it's just me in my garage and like a suitcase and my tennis bag and pillows. And I was like, this is all I need for the next year. Like, this, this is it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I moved south and I joined a tennis academy in Florida where it was fun. It was it was kids who were probably 10 years younger than me on average uh, from all over the world. And some of them were the best youth tennis players in their country or, you know, some of the best players, at least. And. Yeah, we would just train for, you know, going from accounting and finance every day where I was just sitting and sitting in a cubicle to playing tennis for what, like six hours a day, four hours a day? How many hours are you playing tennis? Yeah, it was probably five, six hours a day of tennis and then throw in there some workouts and runs. And yeah, it was it was a lot, a lot of training. What was your mile time going in and what was your mile time going out? I'm curious. Do you know? 
I feel like you, you're the kind of person that would track that. No, it's a good question. I, I don't know what it was going in and, and I should know that I should have done a little bit more of that statistics, but I do know that my two mile, we used to run the two miles funny. We'd run the two mile every Wednesday with the kids. And it was so funny because some of them were like 18, 17, some were coming back from college, you know, training, but a lot of the, some, some of them were like 14, 13, you know, it's 90 something degrees ridiculous humidity in florida and we're running on the pavement for two miles kids are like throwing off throwing up off to the side i'm like laughing at them uh but yeah i think i think my two mile guy after training for three hours in the morning in that he we'd go run two miles before the afternoon session and i think it was down i think it was down to 12 uh 12 minutes after the three 12 minutes for the two 12 minutes for the two miles that's not bad man it wasn't bad uh Room for improvement, but are you still running at all? Are you still playing tennis? Yeah, I play. I'm I'm living in, in New York City right now, and the level here is not as easy to find good players as it was down there. But I do play every Thursday in Central Park, so I'm I'm trying to keep the competitively. No, no. I mean, I just uh, found a friend, found a kid who who's in tennis, so it's fun. We just you know, I get on my little city bike and we ride up to Central Park uh, play at eight in the morning, every Thursday morning. So yeah, I wish I could play more, but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but it's it, after my, my year of, of tennis uh, and then travel, it was time. Yeah. To- yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to the then travel part, I want to ask you just a couple quick clarifying things about this. So clearly a huge time commitment also a really big monetary commitment. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. It was not just a leap of faith and that I mean I, I appreciate that you give the, the the clarification that you could go back to your job. but clearly it's a leap of faith. Clearly um, you had to have some kind of goal going in about why this was so worth it to you. So first of all, why tennis? And what did you want to get out of that? What what made that a success? Did you have something in mind that, hey, if I can do this, it's successful? Yeah. So I, I always tell people, like, I failed in my tennis aspirations, which they kind of get upset with. And they start being like, oh, no, you didn't fail. You didn't fail. But, like, I failed, um, in my opinion. So why tennis? I love playing tennis, and I never tried to push myself competitively. At, at, in tennis and you know I played club lacrosse in college and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a solid athlete but I never focused solely on my body working out training for one sport eating well sleeping well putting, having my life revolve around tennis a sport is so different because you know I'm very focused and when I worked all I did was work and when I was in college, like I had a good time, but I worked, you know, it was the focus was accounting. It was still it. work. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first time ever, it was like, let's not just do work. Let's, let's have, do something you really enjoy and are passionate about and see how far you, you can go. I, I laugh because your idea of doing something fun is to go work at it. Even with the tennis, like <laughs> you're like, you're I'm right. gonna go spend six hours a day every day training, eating, sleeping, drinking tennis. Basically, that's not the average person's idea of fun. 
It actually sounds really fun to me, but right. Yeah. No, it's definitely a, a certain type of person. You're right. And it, it, you know, it was, it was weird. Like uh, going, like I was spending a lot of money to train. Uh, I, I was, I was willing to, you know, I budgeted and determined how much I thought it was going to cost. And it was super expensive to, to train with these, you know, very good instructors all day. Uh, so I'm training and working my butt off every day. And the kids there, they don't understand that their parents are just sending them away and giving them, you know, paying a ridiculous amount of money. And they're not appreciative of the opportunity that they have. So I think the coaches really liked having me. It was funny because, and they wanted me to succeed because I worked so much harder than anyone else. And uh, when I'm just. (laughs) <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about that? What that experience was like? First of all, is it? I'm imagining it's uncommon for someone who's 28 to go to that camp. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that experience. Did you feel old? Did you feel younger and revitalized? What was the competition like? Because you documented this really well. Yeah. So it was hard off the bat because you're right. They don't. These academies don't look for people who are out of college to train it maybe if you're a tennis pro and you want to stop by an academy they'll let you hit with the pros you know but like they don't want some random kid who has no experience just showing up and making you know making a mockery of of what their livelihood and and being a distraction to these kids who are trying to all get d1 scholarships so it, it was a little interesting and you know uh i got connected to an academy uh and they were, they, you know, I talked to them on the phone and they, I think they were a little bit worried and A, they liked my attitude. They liked like, oh, this guy's, he's not joking. He's gone. Oh, like he, he'll, you know, if, if we tell him to run suicides until he throws up, like he'll run suicides. Um, and so that was good. And then I went and once they saw me, they weren't impressed by necessarily my, my swing. I think they needed to see, that, they needed to see that I was at a certain level that I was good enough to be able to play with the kids. He, like, not necessarily the best of the kids in the, in the academy, but compete. And they needed to see that, you know, I said yes and never complained and was a good example. And, you know, after the first day, they were like, hey, we'll take his money because he's paying and he's working his butt off. And, and hey, we're going to root for him because he's working harder than any other kid out here. So, um yeah, so good, good questions. I mean, going back to it was bizarre going every day and, and hanging out with teens. And it was, it got in the beginning, the first four or five months were the best months of my life. That's how much fun I had training. But it got frustrating. And I didn't have expectations in the beginning. I was like, it's going to take time. Um, I don't expect to become overnight nasty at tennis. But it, it was frustrating uh, being, I love being with kids all the time, but you know, they're kids and I, I would know about their crushes. I would know about, you know, most of them did homeschooling or, or it was a bizarre world that I never know about. A few of them went to classes for a couple hours a day. So I know about what tests they had. I know about like you know, gossip, all this stuff. And, but it, it, it was a little uh, frustrating. I wish I wish sometimes that there were college players or people who were 
a little bit more serious uh, and mature, but it was it was still a blast. So hold on a second. Yeah, go ahead. The first four months, how many months were you in the academy? In total, it was probably 10, 10 months of playing. I, I got a little injured a few times. I think I pushed too hard. It's hard. Even if I was younger, I don't think it'd make any difference. I was just so excited that going into it, people gave me suggestions about how hard I could push. Maybe, you know, 10%, add 10% every month, every week. Maybe you can spend another you know hour out on the court the next week. Uh, but I, I was so excited and wanted to get better that I, I sometimes worked a little too much. And I, my body, I got injured a little bit towards, especially towards the middle and ends. Um, but in all, in all, I'd say it was around, it was around 10, 10 months. What was your goal going in? You said you didn't have stronger expectations for yourself, but you must have had some kind of goal. What did you want to accomplish? Yeah. So I didn't, in the very beginning, I wasn't sure exactly what I, what goal I had. It was just so hard to come up with a specific goal because I was, you know, I wasn't used to the tennis world. I didn't know what I was up against. I knew that my chances of being a professional were were 1%, whatever less. But I, I knew that if I trained really hard, I, I mean, I didn't know this, but I, I was hoping that I get to a high level. And as I started to train, I learned the different levels and the different tournaments they had. And they have, basically they have this level, it's called open tournaments. It's the highest level that like, if you're just a recreational player, pretty much you play in. A lot of college players will come and train in the opens before, you know, during summer breaks or before college, very competitive. And uh, my goal was to get far in those tournaments. That, that kind of became my goal, and I failed. Like, I, I played in a bunch of open tournaments and won a match or two, but I was not ever making it far in any draws. And, you know, I think, honestly, I think I would have gotten there in another year or two. I would have been, I would I, I think that I could have been winning these opens, maybe you're getting top of the opens, but I never, I, I never would have been, a top 100 player, I, cer- I certainly would never be 100. I don't think I would ever be a pro, ever. So you realizing this probably, what, like month eight, month nine, month six, mm-hmm. somewhere in there? Yeah. Does that alter your drive to do this? What What ultimately made you say 10 months, I, you know, this is enough, I'm done? Yeah, it, it hurt because I don't like failing. and uh, And also I was convinced that I was – I was so close to getting to the next level that I didn't want to give up. And I said, Oh, I, you know, I wish I just did another year or two, but it was, it was expensive. And my goal going into it was like, Hey, do a year of this and then go and travel. That's your other dream. And also I think, you know, waking up every day and getting to the courts at 8am and training, I, I suddenly noticed, I don't know, around 10th month or right around there that, I wasn't as excited to lace up my shoes and I didn't mind when they were like, Hey, we're running right now. I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. And uh, I didn't mind that at all, but I wasn't as excited. And that's when I was like, Hey, I, I, I uprooted my life. I moved from New York. I moved to Florida to tra- play tennis. If I'm not loving every, and I'm paying a crazy amount of savings, I'm not loving every minute. It's time to go travel. I want to come back to the courts 
I can, but it's time to go travel. Um, and it was hard for me because yeah, like I knew that my, I was in the best shape of my life that I've ever been in, which is very fun for me. Um, and what's fun also is people in New York who said, I, Tanner, you can't do it. You're too old. Uh, you're too small. You're too short, whatever. They were wrong. Like it, it wasn't a physical thing. Um, I could outrun every kid there in, in, in a suicide. I had no issue competing with all the kids who were going D one. No problem. Uh, lifting, you know, I'm not huge tennis players. They don't lift that much. Like I, I held my own in the gym. That was fine. It was, it was the swing, uh, the fluidity of the swing, the kids who had been training since they were six, seven, eight, nine, it was better. They had a better shot. I, I struggled in certain areas. They were just better. And tennis is a very technical sport with the forehand, backhand serve, especially in I hesitate to compare it all. I'm not actually to your experience, but I played tennis for the first time really in college as this class for fun. And I liked it so much that I ended up trying out for the tennis team and making it at the junior college, my very last semester of eligibility. And I played, I made the team. I was working part-time. I actually never got to play in a tournament or anything, which is really sad because my eligibility ran out as that was happening. But whenever I could compete for the seventh spot, you know, I wasn't able to put in the same amount as the other kids. But I was really proud of the fact that I made the team just off the street kind of as a 25-year-old at the time. Yeah, so I know a little bit of how you feel about that and also about the having bigger expectations for yourself than anyone else does. And I think that's something that drives you for success. So I guess I just want to say that because um, I'm seeing that is true of your tennis experience, but I think it's, it's, there's no way it's not impacting your experience as an accountant and uh, later on as an entrepreneur. But before we talk a little bit about Tanner, the entrepreneur, I want to talk about Tanner, the world traveler. Because, you know, you spent 10 months, correct me if I'm wrong with, with the timeline here, but you spend 10 months, you leave corporate America, you leave PwC, one of the big four, you say, I'm going to go play tennis in Florida. You spend 10 months, you lay it all out there and you realize, all right, I got to make a change again. I got to pursue the next thing. Now you go and travel the world and you spent, uh, you, you can tell me please how long, but it seems like you've been all over. You've been to Patagonia, you've been to Tasmania, Argentina, Laos, Cambodia, and you, you and I both have been to Vietnam. How did you decide, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> how did you decide where to go, how long to stay, how much money you had to, to do this? What was your plan going in? How did you budget for all of this, especially after spending so much time and money on the tennis academy? How are you affording all of this? You haven't been working. Yeah, yeah. So I guess one thing they said to me in New York when I quit was like, why didn't you try to do this like three years ago? And I was like, well, I hadn't saved any money. Like I, I want to be able to do it I, exactly what I want to do, but I need to ha have some money saved. Um, so just going back to what we talked about before, like saving every penny when I was eight years old, uh, even though I lived in New York for a good portion of my career, I commuted at first to save money, uh, commuted home to New Jersey, but I saved a lot of money when I could. 
uh, in every way, in simple ways in New York. And, you know, not never taking cab, but always subway, rarely going out for drinks, that kind of stuff. Still having a fun time, but being very careful and saving very much, all the money so that I could do what I wanted when I turned 28. And it just so happened that I had this, this, this revelation that I needed to quit and play tennis. And you had the freedom to do it because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I had the freedom to do it. If you're a fan of the show looking for a way to be a little more involved, there are two things that I would love for you to do for me. Head on over to Alone With Peter on Instagram, at Alone With Peter, and let me know what particular episode you have found particularly inspiring and why. I want to make more content that resonates with you, and that's a great way for us to get the ball rolling in that direction. Another thing you can do for me is consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. The more reviews I get, the more eyeballs I can get in the show, and the longer I can keep putting this thing together. So thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And let's... Sorry, I didn't yeah. interrupt you, but what no. were you doing with your money up to that point? Because I think somebody else might hear this and go, well, that's nice, but you were making <laughs> uh, six figures, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's a lot more to do with the mindset that it is to do with the amount of money. So could you please explain, you weren't just not spending money, you were also making money. So how are you doing that and saving it and making sure that it was actively invested or whatever else you were doing? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, so yeah, I was definitely careful with my spending. A big, huge thing was where I was living, right? Never a single apartment, always with friends, multiple people. But everything that I was saving, you're right, I was investing. Uh, I, I, and, you know, you don't need to be crazy brilliant. You can just pull the Warren Buffett and and put it into the S&P 500. Um, I've been, I'm like, I'm kind of stock nerdy. Like I, I've been trading or trying to understand the market. You always try. No one really, on no one is an expert, but since I was, since I was in middle school. So, uh, it was nice to have that background. And even in as accountant, you'd be surprised none of the accountants that I worked with were very good at saving money or investing their money, to be honest with you. That's, uh, yeah. So you don't have to, what I'm saying is you don't have to have that background and you don't have to work in that environment to save. Uh, and to your point, when you said, you know, you're making six figures, like that was only my last year, like out of college. I did, I did well, but not that much for living in New York. And it was about spending less than I was making and immediately putting all that money in, into the market. The market was really good during that time, right? Like exceptional. Uh, but that's really what it came down to. And I knew when I quit, I could spend x amount for tennis and i budgeted and i did some research and you know what i i spent right in that number right like you know right where i expected and then i was like at the end i was like i'm gonna go travel and you know i'm not sure how long i'm gonna go travel but one thing i do know on the outside periphery is like i want to have a little money left over when i'm done so that i'm not living at home as a 32 year old 
Yeah, for like two or three or four years just because you spend all of your money. Okay, so before we get into the nitty-gritty, because I do want to talk more about specifically the travel. Yeah. And because I think that really leads into your entrepreneurial pursuits that are happening right now. But I want to ask you a little bit about, I'm getting a picture here of the way that you think about budgeting. You're being very aware of the amount of money you currently have. And then also what your immediate expenses are, meaning the things that you have to pay for to get by. And then you're also getting an accurate assessment of what you think things will cost and you're getting close enough that you can have some confidence in that future budgeting um, planning that is not easy to do if someone has not done it before so maybe you could kind of give me an idea is it as simple as hey you just got to start doing it and as you do it you kind of figure out how much things actually cost to do and you learn you just what you really are spending and what you need to spend is it as simple as just doing it more or are there some things that people should be keeping in mind yeah everyone's different and it's not easy it's not easy especially if it's not something that you're used to doing uh i think my upbringing definitely influenced uh me appreciating a dollar but also yeah, if you really want to start saving and be able to get that financial freedom, some of these things sound obvious, but you, you really need to step back and think about everything you're buying. And, and like you said, I liked what you said, separating out your needs and and then, hey, this is what I need to spend. Okay, here's here's the leftover that I'm spending. Do I like what is what am I spending this on? Is it subscriptions? Is it is it beer? Whatever. People go to the bar all the time in New York. And they just throw it on their card and they have no idea when they walk out of there how much they spent. They have no idea. It makes me it makes me you know? nervous just hearing you say that because <laughs> I'm intensely aware of the limits of my funds. So when I see people doing this kind of stuff, um or even think about doing it myself, sometimes I go as far as like, I'm just not gonna do that. And mm -hmm. I think there's something negative about that as well. But uh, uh, there's so many practical things that I'd like to touch on in part three. So if somebody's mm -hmm. if somebody's hearing this stuff and like, yeah, I really want to know what you think, stick around for part three of this interview. Yeah, I have a few tips, a few ideas. Yeah, no, I would really, I think there's some really actionable stuff people can be doing. And, um, you know, from you, I, th I think there's a lot they can learn from your process. Um, it doesn't matter what level their income is. It's about the process more than anything. Obviously you need to be making money, but you just change your expectations, I think, based off of that. So I'd love to talk more about that. But before that, so you spend this, how many years? How Was it a year traveling? It was more than that, right? It, uh, it was probably actually, because I kept coming and going and like I had to go to a wedding and come over. Christmas. It was probably 10 months on the road in total. Um, but like you said, I mean, I'd saved enough and, you know, it's all about the experiences. And, you know, when I traveled, I didn't, I didn't need to stay in, in five-star hotels. Like I love the hostel life and I don't need to buy, I didn't buy a single, I don't know if I bought a single souvenir in 10 months. Like I just, what, I'm going to carry it around with me. Like I don't, I don't need that stuff. It was I want to go to museums. I want to go out and see things that I won't be able to see in the States. 
uh, go on hikes, things that aren't expensive, that are out of this world experiences. Um, and so it was nice to be able to do what I wanted. Uh, like I had saved enough, but a lot of the stuff that I wanted wasn't that much. I want to talk about this concept of um, spending versus saving in, in regards to this, because I think it's a really interesting point. When you are budgeting for a certain place that you went and you say, I could do this experience, but it's going to cost me money to do. Mm-hmm. How do you decide how important it is to be pinching pennies in this situation versus experiencing the thing and having to pay for the experience and being willing to do that and allowing yourself to do that? Because when I get in the mindset about budget, budget, budget is how much money I have and I need to spend this amount, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't do that. That costs money. And that's the hardest part about budgeting, I think. You, you, and, and I don't know of where the line is. So I'd be curious what you think. It's tough. It's tough. Like I, I had quit my job and saved enough that I didn't want to hold back from doing stuff. You know, I was traveling to experience stuff. So a good example would be like I went to um, Slovenia, uh, Lake Bled, which is unreal. Uh, I don't know. Have you been there yet? No, no. There's so many in the places on your list that I have yet to go, especially in South and Central America. I'm pretty jealous. But Slovenia sounds, I'm guessing, pretty gorgeous nature. Right. Your spot, I mean, I think for half the country is like a forest. So anyway, they had, you could, you stay near this lake where there's an island and a church, unreal, but there's a lot of cool activities there. And to your point, some of them are expensive. And I remember there was canyoning where you go and jump into these canyons. And I thought to myself, this is sick. Like, where else can I do this? And I'm in Slovenia. And like, this is what people do this here. Like, can I do it anywhere else? I don't know. So then all of a sudden it becomes, wait a second, like, I can't just do this somewhere else. That makes it like I might need to pay this amount of money. Then it's like, am I going to sacrifice? Am I not going to be able to do other things? if I spend the money on this, right? So I remember I was in Lake Bled and uh, I wanted, you know, usually you want to get, get some hostile friends to be like, yo, let's do canyoning. No one wanted to do the full day canyoning or whatever. And I said, no, like, I don't care. I'm doing it by myself. Like this, <laughs> you know, like I'm paying for this. Like it's yeah. reasonable. I can't do it anywhere else. It looks amazing. It's an incredible experience. Like though you, you kind of do this. I know it's a lot of like calculations, but you're doing a lot in your head. Um, to make sure you can you can do it because uh, you know those experiences they mean a lot I, if you transition I, you know when i went to new zealand i thought it was the last place i visited they had a lot of cool activities and like every a lot of the cities like queenstown had you can go skydiving you can go um, motor boating uh, there's there's 15 different activities and some kids in hostels were signing up like for every single one like crazy and I was like, I'm not going to go pay this to go on a speedboat. I know it's beautiful, but like I can go on a hike here and get a better view and hang out with hostel kids and it, I could do this somewhere else. And it's a lot of money. So in that situation, I weighed it and I was like, I don't need to do. And it was funny because I actually ended up doing like none of the activities there. None. I just went on hikes and I had no regrets. You don't look back at that at all ever and say, man, I wish I had coughed up the, coughed up the money for that. 
I have not a single regret. There was one kid, James, he, he, he was having a blast. He went to every one. He was like, this is the coolest thing. But he, he had on his bucket list, like, I really want to go skydiving. And New Zealand's a really cool place to go skydiving. And he, that's not as, as high up on my list. So I didn't prioritize. Um, so that, that's where the difference was. Yeah. When you're working through your budget, then there's a couple of different things you're considering, it sounds like. One is how you want to travel. And what are the kind of things that you like to do? I'm curious though, and that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Different people are going to want to travel different ways. And if you're somebody who needs to have kind of a more bougie experience to enjoy it, you like to relax and you might have to budget differently than someone who's willing to rough it a little bit, right? And Mm -hmm. the hostel experience, not that hostels are necessarily roughing it anyway. I mean, sometimes they are, but... um, I'm just curious, when you're making those mental calculations, what are some of the factors? You, you kind of touched on it a little bit, like, I can't do this anywhere else. Would I regret not doing it? But what are the things that you're, that you're keeping in mind, especially since you've already made a budget? You're already there. Now this thing, this opportunity comes to you that you hadn't budgeted for. How do you decide? Yeah. No, it's good. It's really situational. It's tough. So people, people always say in America, in the, in the States, they're always wondering like hostile life. And they, you know, a lot of our friends, at least colleagues in New York, they want to go and, and, and vacation somewhere pretty luxurious and stay nice places. And, and I get that. Like you work so hard in this rat race that we talked about that you only have a couple of weeks off and you want to just live a, live a, a free life and, and get your bed made for you and enjoy chocolates on your pillow. And I get that. Um, yeah. But, you know, on the other side, a lot of it had to do with, I want long-term here. Like this is different, right? This is a long-term experience. Uh, I, I don't care at all about that stuff. I'm not going back to the, I don't have a two week time limit. I, I just, I want a place to lay my head. And that's when, you know, Staying in a hostel is going to save you a crazy amount per night versus a hotel. So, I mean, that was huge as far as budgeting, right? And and for and, and when I say it's situational, like, I thought to myself, how long am I kind of going to go traveling? A year? A year-ish? Do I plan on having to work during my year of travel to support what I want to do? Because all these people I met in Australia and New Zealand, like, that's what they did. They worked so that they could travel more. Uh, so that, that, those are huge things. So. In my situation, I didn't plan on working. So it was, okay, I need money for a year. So I kind of budgeted loosely for the year. So I knew that it would be comprised of places that are more expensive, like Europe and New Zealand and Australia, than places that are are way cheaper, like Eastern Eastern Europe or South America or even Asia, as you know, where you can go much so you definitely, it's hard to answer in a succinct way. I'm sorry, but it's just so, it's so broad. So I'm just kind of walking you through that process that went through my head. Like, oh, it's a year. I'm not going to be working. So I need my savings to support uh, my year. Uh, what, you know, what countries do I plan on going to? Are they all expensive? Are they not all expensive? That's going to dictate how I spend my money. And then what's more important to me and how we talk about how, you know, experiences trumped all. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. To me, the experience was much more important. Like when you go 
somewhere I never really think about where I stayed as being part of the barometer of did I enjoy it? I mean, sometimes it does. Like, for example, when I was in South France, I was lucky enough to have a friend who is from there. And so I stayed with his family. Mm. And it was a really unique experience because the family had built their chateau 400 years ago. <laughs> and I got to stay in a chateau. I mean, that's the dream. Of course, staying in a freaking French castle is a unique experience, a part of what I enjoyed about South France. Yeah, you can't beat that. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, but that's mainly because of the fact that it's like a friend of mine gave me a place to stay and the place was so cool for that reason. It was like not a monetary de decision, you know? Versus yeah. did I enjoy Vietnam less because I didn't stay someplace super nice? No, I probably enjoyed it a lot more. More, you yeah. Know? Because I could do it for longer. So I, I do appreciate you taking the time to kind of talk about the idea of where you wanted to go, how long you wanted to be there, and how are you going to fund it? Because those things factor in. Now, I think we'll keep the rest of that for part three. I want to tease really quickly before we, before we conclude this part of our interview. You have as we mentioned at the beginning, a lot of experience with hostels, a lot of experience with hostels. And that experience has actually positioned you to pursue what you're trying to do right now. So I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a tease of what Hostelmate is mm -hmm. and what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, sure. So thanks for bringing it up. Um, yeah, so I traveled all over. I, I think it was like during that, 10 months a year of travel is yes, 10 months. Yeah. I traveled, I think to maybe 14 countries, uh, something like that, you know, didn't really have a plan. Certain places I wanted to hit certain places. I just heard about from fellow travelers and went to, and I stayed at hostels because they were inexpensive, but also to just meet good people and learn about the secrets of the place I was visiting from, fellow travelers and I became kind of obsessed with hostels and I stayed at 70 hostels during that time period which thinking about that kind 70 of hostels 14 countries yeah that's a pretty yeah. big sample size that is quite large so when I returned home and I mean I had some good stories actually I mean I don't, I don't need to go into them but I got stuck in New Zealand with COVID and worked on a vineyard and and anyway, I came home after all this, this journey and I, I, and I'm still not sure what I want to do with my life, but you know, I think it is good to, if you're going to try to start something and be an entrepreneur to focus on what, you know, what, you know, better than other people, not only what you're passionate about, but what do you actually like know? And I was like 70 hostels, like I know hostels here, like who's been to 70 hostels in the last year? And all and all in all these different locations. So I, I decided I, I wanted to to create Hostelmate, which is a, an app. And the the thought behind it was, you know, I'd show up at a hostel and it'd be late at night, and there'd be no one around. Or I'd go and I often would stay in the eight person dorm, you know, minimum eight, you know, just to really try to meet people. And you'd show up in a dorm and no one would want to talk to you, and it would be terrible. And you'd be like. Well, maybe the dorm next door, maybe they're awesome. Maybe there's like Peter, maybe Peter's over there in that dorm. And I was, so I thought to myself, 
it would be sweet if I could just take out my phone and 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 select the hospital I'm staying at, maybe put the password that they've given me and have an app where I can chat, send a message to the whole guest list at the hostel and say, does anyone want to grab a drink? Does anyone want to go on a bike ride? Does anyone want to go canyoning in Slovenia tomorrow? Uh, and then, you know, I thought that'd be a great way to connect. And, you know, so much of your experience at hostels is driven by the connections you make. And I think the app would facilitate that. So that was the, that's why I built it. And, you know, I added a bunch of other functionalities and stuff, but that that's kind of the dream behind uh, my, my business, Hostel Me. Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode of Alone with Peter as much as I am, you're going to want to stick around for the next episode coming out next week as we conclude our conversation with Tanner Combius. We've talked a lot about travel, budgeting for travel, tennis, his blog, Tennis and Travel. If you're interested in checking him out there, please don't forget to do that at tennisandtravel.com. And also, if you're interested in uh, seeing what his website is like for his new business, Hostelmate, go to hostelmate.app. And as I said, stay tuned for part three, because this is where we're going to get into some actionable tips for you as we break down a little bit more about what Hostelmate is, what he's trying to do with it, and how can you budget for your travel, your, your trip, your business, whatever that may be. So stay tuned for the next episode of Alone with Peter. 